right, good morning, Every Nation Church Malaysia. Uh, could you turn to your neighbor left and right and say, I'm glad I'm sitting beside you this morning, all right? Uh, some of you, you find, wow, that's too difficult for me to say, all right? Uh, nonetheless, it's great to be here. And whenever I get to speak on this pulpit, it's really a privilege and a humbling experience. And I really want to honor my pastor, Pastor Timothy, for allowing me this platform uh, to minister to all of us this morning. Now, if you are with us since last week, you would know that we are on this series called The Story of the World. In the count of three, could you repeat that with me? Three, two, one. The Story of the World. And the idea of this series is we wanted to show you how the Bible is actually one coherent story. And a lot of us, sometimes we like to Google up, you know, verses to encourage me when I'm tired, and then, or verses to encourage me when I'm fearful, and that's not wrong. But you will realize that the Bible is much more than just verses that you pick out here and there. It's one coherent story. And talking about story, I don't know how many of you, you are like me, where if I'm going for a movie, in fact, this happened quite recently, I was running late for a movie, and I was rushing, and I was getting more panicky. Why? Because I, I don't know whether if you think the same way as me, if you miss the first five minutes of the movie, you might as well don't watch. Are you that kind, right? Some of you, some of you, yes, right? Uh, if you miss the first five movies, uh, minutes of the movie, might as well don't watch. Now, why did I start with this? Because last weekend was the first five minutes of this movie. Uh, and if you miss it, I want to encourage you. Eugene preached a great sermon last weekend. Do tune in onto our YouTube. Get that. In fact, that's not just five minutes. That's like a whole 20, 30 minutes of the movie. You want to understand that because it sets the stage for the rest of the story you're about to discover. Nonetheless, today, I'm going to embark on uh, if I could say the second act, the second part of this grand story, the fall. And I know some of you, you missed last weekend, so I'm going to try to give a short recap But last week so that you can immediately jump on board with today's sermon. And again, my short recap won't do justice to Eugene's sermon last week. But the point of last week was this. God created. And He created everything. Everything on top, heaven, and everything below, earth. And then you will find that God did not just create a space. He filled those space with creatures. And then in the midst of all that, He would create and He would say, it was good. And finally, on the sixth day, He created mankind. And when He created mankind, He saw and said, it was very good. And this God who created this good creation, at the end of it, what do we find that God does? He blesses His creation and He chooses to dwell with His creation because we have a Creator God who treasures relationships. So that's a little snippet, a little summary about last week. And if you miss it and then you're like, oh, Jason, why you give me spoiler, right? I wanted to go back and watch myself, right? I'm so sorry for the spoiler, right? But I hope you still tune in. It was a great word. Today now, we continue with the second part. God created a good world, a good creation, good creatures, and now we come to the fall. And the start of this second act really comes from this verse that I want to invite all of us to read together in the count of three, all right? So in three, two, one, let's read it together. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Could I invite all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes as I start us off with prayer. Uh, God, we invite you into our midst. That more than just hearing Jason speak from the pulpit today, Holy Spirit, you'll be the one to minister to each and every one of us here. Holy Spirit, you'll be the one to help us to understand your word this morning. So we invite you, God, to do what only you can do. This I pray and all God's people say in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, when you read this verse, you'll find that there is a command. The command is, you can eat of any other tree except this one tree. A simple command, if you think about it. You can eat of any other tree except just this one. A simple command. But you'll find that this simple command has a very heavy consequence. That if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And somehow, at the second of the, at the center of this simple command and this heavy consequence is this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And at this point, I want to invite all of you to ponder a bit. What is it about this fruit that requires such a heavy, serious consequence? If you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, that's a very heavy consequence if you ask me. And what about this fruit is so bad that it's deserving of such a weighty, serious, terrible punishment? Why is it so bad? And some of you who are of the faith for a while now, you might say, Oh, Jason, I know, I know. Because when we eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil... Well, what happened was, human now knows evil. Some of you, you might be familiar with this narrative, right? After eating of that fruit, humankind now knows evil. Do we see a little glimpse of that? Well, yeah, because you find that after Eve ate, it reads this. So they disobeyed the command. Some of you who are familiar with the story, they were by the tree. There was a serpent that came and deceived them. They believed, they trusted, and, and, and they took the fruit. They disobeyed. And it reads this. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. So this is Eve, and this is Adam. And he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And a lot of us were of the faith, you would know, you would read this and conclude, here is when they knew evil. And the evil they now know is shame. Is shame a bad thing? Uh, pretty bad, especially if we live in a shame culture, right? Pai say here, pai say there, right? Shame culture, shame ain't a good thing. And some would read this and realize that by eating of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Humankind now knows shame. Humankind now knows evil. That's why it's bad, some would say. Yet, when you read on the verse, I don't know whether you ever thought about this. It continues with, They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Somehow, after eating this fruit, Humankind did not just know shame, they suddenly now know how to make clothes. Have you ever paused and wondered? 
true, huh? Clothes, good or bad thing? Now, please don't think, oh, Jason, are you saying clothes is the bad thing? Don't, all right, don't. Look at me, I'm wearing so many layers, right? You'll find, quite consistently in the Bible, clothes is depicted as a good thing. We got the priestly garments. We got the wedding garments that Jesus talked about in His parable. We got the, the parable of the prodigal son, the son that left the family, and when he came back, how the father clothed the son. You will find time and time again, clothes is depicted as a good thing. Have you ever paused and realized that when they ate the fruit, humankind did not just know evil, they might now also know good. Maybe that's why it's called the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Huh, Jason, then if by eating the fruit, they know both good and evil, not just evil, then we come back to the question just now, then Jason, why is it so bad? Have you ever thought to yourself, why is it so bad? They did not just know evil, they also now know good. And please, at this point, don't leave the hall, right? Don't just leave, oh, actually not very bad, ah, huh? and then you leave now. Okay, that's not the end of the sermon, all right? Because don't get me wrong, it is bad. But I find a lot of us might have misunderstood why exactly it was bad. And when we don't properly understand why it's bad, what happens is sometimes we don't really believe that it's very bad. We know it's a little bad, but we may not believe it's very bad or at least bad enough to deserve the punishment of death. And when we don't understand why exactly it's bad and we see God punishing them with death, well, we might fall into the trap of believing that God might not exactly be loving. Don't you realize? And I've had conversations with people before. When they look at the incident, when they look at the false story, they will say, Jason, don't you think God was a little bit too harsh? Don't you think God was a little bit too severe? After all, it was just one command. After all, it was just a fruit. After all, they did not just know evil, they now know good. Don't you think God is a little bit too harsh? Don't you think God is not exactly loving? And that's a trap we can fall into when we don't get why it's so bad. And when I was trying to wrestle my head around this, I came across this verse in Hosea. And he reads this. Uh, when God was addressing Israel and when God recalled this whole incident of the fall, it reads, But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. In another translation, it reads, But like Adam, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. What does that whole fall incident have to do with trust? My guess is that that whole moment, eating of the fruit, was so bad because something about it broke trust. How? How did it break trust? Well, here's where I want to invite all of you to follow my train of thought. You see, before eating of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, how does humankind know what's good 
and what's not. How do they know? Well, my hunch is this. Number one, they would have to rely and trust upon God's Word. It was God who blessed them and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Rule and subdue the earth. They now know, oh, God told us this is a good thing to do. And what else did God say? Well, later on, we read just now, right? God commanded them to say, you can eat of any other tree except this one tree. Based on God's word, they now know eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is bad. They needed to rely and trust on God's word. But it wasn't just God's word. Might I say it was also God's timing. Now, hear me. God created a good earth. And when he saw humankind, God said it was very good. But you will find, interestingly, in God's character, God, even in his good creation, radiates and reveals greater good at his timing. I'll show you one example. God, after creating mankind and Adam and all the rest, he would look at that, and it might shock you. God would look at that and say, it is not good. Interesting, huh? God, I thought you created a good earth. Yes, he did. Don't get me wrong. In fact, he created very good. But somehow, even in the midst of very good, God could point out, hmm, this part could be better. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All of us then know that would be Eve, the wife. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Do you realize that God saw that it was not good for man to be without a helper, but God did not immediately create Eve then? God waited. God delayed it. God was not anxious to immediately create. He has his timing. And later on, when the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Somehow, God was not in a rush to immediately reveal this helper that he has prepared and thought of for Adam. But God waited at his timing then. He revealed this better thing, this greater good. God has his timing to reveal good. And before the eating of the fruit, Adam and Eve needed to rely and trust on God's word and God's timing to know good and evil. But after eating the fruit, what happened? Now you'll find that mankind no longer needed to wait and rely and trust on God's word and timing to know good and evil. They don't. I'll give you an example. All of us, we are humans, right? Just like Adam and Eve. Using your knowledge of good and evil, let me ask you, Abraham being directed by God to sacrifice his son. Just this statement alone, good or evil? Some of you are like, hey, I'm a very good Christian, right? I can only say good, right? But come on, let's be honest here. Just using your human knowledge of good and evil, is that good or evil? What else? Jesus being led to be tempted in the wilderness. Good or evil? Uh, what else? God sacrificing His own Son, even though the Son asked if the Father was willing to take and let the ordeal of the cross pass by Him. Yet the Father still allowed Jesus to go to the cross. Good or evil? 
What else? Later on in Acts, there's this guy called Ananias that was instructed by God to go and help this guy called Saul. And Saul, if you're unfamiliar with this guy, Saul was someone who instigated the death of Christians. And you can imagine in Ananias' mind, God, this guy killed your follower and you want me to help him? Come on, guys, using your knowledge of good and evil. Good or evil? You will find that you don't need to wait, rely, and trust to conclude whether this is good or evil. Now, every single one of us here, we are able to use our knowledge of good and evil to make a judgment call whether this is good or bad. But of course, those of the faith, you would eventually know that all of it turned out to be good. Abraham, though he was directed to sacrifice his son, God eventually came and stopped, and God provided a ram and blessed Abraham, including his descendants, including his son. And Jesus, who was led to be tempted, uh, eventually at the wilderness, we find that Jesus overcome the evil one. This seemingly bad thing turned out to be a good thing. What else? God sacrificing His Son, right, on the cross, and eventually He brought salvation to all, and Jesus was raised to glory. A good thing. And eventually Ananias, who helped Saul, some of you would know, Saul became Paul, who became one of the key figures of the Christian faith. A good thing. But you'll find now, none of us here will feel the need to wait, to rely, and to trust on God to reveal what's good and evil because now all of us have a certain knowledge of good and evil and some of it could be a misguided knowledge but we could make a judgment call. Trust was no longer needed to be there. But you might say, Jason, sure, fine, but I still don't get it. Why is it so bad? Come on. Am I not helping God's job to be easier a bit, right? He don't have to keep telling me, right? I already know. I already know. I've got it. I've got it, God. I know what's good. I know what's bad. How is it so bad that now I know good and evil for myself? I don't need to wait upon God. I don't need to rely upon God. I don't need to trust upon God to tell me. How is it so bad? I'll tell you how. By reading first a verse and then sharing a story. You see, after Adam and Eve fell... God came and God spoke. He spoke to the serpent, He spoke to Eve, and then He spoke to Adam. And when He spoke to Adam, He said this, Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And I want to sidetrack a bit by asking you all, have any of you had a friend that talk bad behind your back and you found out about it? Raise your hand, if any. Some of you don't dare raise your hand because that friend is sitting nearby, right? Just kidding, just kidding, okay? Uh, but those of you who have had that experience before and you found out about it, now when that friend that talk bad behind your back comes and says, hey, do you want to go dinner with me? My treat. Now you're going to look at this friend a bit skeptical, right? You're going to be like, this guy, give me a treat so that I can owe him favours, right? And then uh, later demand back and, ah, oh, this guy doesn't have good intentions. Or what if this guy gives a compliment to you? Say, wow, good job, that was amazing. Now you will also look at that compliment, really a bit sceptical. You're like, this guy, sure fake one, I tell you. He say nice things in front of me. Behind my back, he'll tell me bad things. You'll find that the moment... Trust is broken with someone. It affects every area 
of that trusting relationship with that person. Why is that such an important thing to know? You see, reading back this verse, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. For those of the faith who have read the creation story, you would know that mankind was created from dust from the very beginning. Even before they fell, even before they sinned and disobeyed God, they were already made out of dust. Do you realize this statement has no new information? Some of you would read this statement and say, wow, now see, so, so bad, right? They're going to die. This statement has no new information. Why would God tell Adam again? Well, here's my thought. Because the creatures, Adam and Eve, were made out of dust, in order to have life and eternal life, they needed to trust and rely on God to be the one to give them life and sustain their life because they were made out of dust. And now when they chose not to trust God in one area, that whole trusting relationship was broken, what else then would be broken? Well, you will find that mankind no longer trusted in God to be the giver and sustainer of life. It wasn't just trust in one area. It was a whole trusting relationship that was affected. Maybe that's why God says the consequence of eating this would be that you shall surely die. Because by eating it, you have broke the trust and you'll find that you will no longer be able to trust me to sustain your life. And you'll find that when you can't trust me to sustain your life, you will soon realize you are actually just made out of dust. And you'll find this is a scary reality. The moment we realize, boy, oh boy, my life is at stake. Man, now you'll find that you will try to take matters into your own hands to make sure your life goes on. Because you can no longer trust God to sustain your life. So what are you going to do? You're going to take matters into your own hands. You're going to do your best to keep living and surviving. And in the midst of this, trying to live, trying to survive, when you find, oh boy, I don't have enough. I don't have enough for myself. I may not have enough for tomorrow. Then what would you do? You might end up stealing. You might end up being very greedy. You might end up being very selfish. Because you don't trust that you've got enough for yourself. And you don't have now a trust, a trust towards God to sustain your life. So I'm going to gather all possible resources to ensure that I can keep on living, even if it means stealing. What else? In the midst of living, you will find that you will mess up. All of us do. All of us mess up. And sometimes, some of the messes that we make is so big and severe, we are so worried if people find out about the mess that I made, man, my life is going to be very badly affected. Nobody will like me anymore. I will lose all favours. So in order to make sure nobody finds out about the mess I made, what will I do? I'll lie. And in the midst of living, I will have my physical needs. I will have. 
and could it be sexual needs and all that. And when I find that I cannot trust God to sustain and provide for all of my needs, I'll take matters into my own hands. Don't you realize that porn and masturbation is a way to take physical needs into your own hands? Don't you realize that? When I cannot trust God to fulfill my physical needs, what will I do? I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll do it myself. I don't know whether you notice this. Sin and disobedience is a trust issue. When we can't trust God to be the giver and sustainer of our life. At this point, some of you might ask, Jason, wouldn't God have known that humankind will fail to trust Him? That humankind, Adam and Eve, would eventually act out in distrust. Why would God still allow it to happen? Why? Some of you may ask. My guess is because trust really matters to God. You know, if any of you are a parent or an older sibling and you have a child or a younger sibling that does not trust you, you know they have trust issues with you. If trust does not matter to you, you wouldn't bother. You will just leave things be. But if trust matters to you, you'll do something about it to gain that trust and to show that you can be trusted. And we'll find that in the story of the fall, that was exactly what God did. Where Adam and Eve, though you don't trust me, and now that the fruit of that distrust is disobedience, you couldn't trust in the first word that I gave you, that I bless you, and in the command, if you could not trust that, and now the fruit of that distrust is disobedience, here's how I'll show you that even when you don't trust me, I can be trusted. You failed to trust the first word, I'll give you a second word. And what is the second word? In light of the disobedience and the fall, God speaks to the serpent. And God tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That something, somehow, in light of their disobedience, God gives another word, another promise. He says, I know you fell. I know you don't trust me. But here's another word for you to trust and cling on to. I will eventually send someone, an offspring. And you'll find that this offspring will come and kill the serpent that deceived you. And in the process, this offspring that comes and kills the serpent, he will die in the process. This is the second word that I'll give to you. And all of us of the faith, we know eventually this He is Jesus. This He did come. And when He came, He overcame sin, He overcame the enemy, and on the cross, He laid down His life so that our relationship with Him is restored, so that He can show that God can be trusted with what He says. Do you realize that Jesus on the cross was more than just, oh, making sure we go to heaven? Jesus on the cross shows that God can be trusted to be who He says He is. His Word can be trusted. He is good and He has proven Himself through Jesus, the truth. 
And the truth is this, that God can be trusted. And now, with Jesus coming into the story, the question for all of us is this, knowing that He can be trusted, He keeps His word, He keeps His promise, would you trust Him? Would you trust Him? Would you trust Him in your, in your workplace? When the bosses could be, could be really mean, really rude, really unloving, the environment could be really toxic, everybody just being lovers of themselves, thinking about themselves. Would you trust Him to say, God, I don't have to be like them? Because I know you will be the one to sustain my life. You'll be the one to give me love. You know all that I need. I don't got to be selfish. I don't. Because I trust in you. I trust because you love me. I can freely give love to everyone else. Even though they don't give love to me. Would you trust Him? Would you trust Him in your finances? But God, I'm unsure whether tomorrow I'll have enough. Whether next week I'll have enough. But God, I choose to trust in You because Your Word says the Father knows all that I need and therefore I should not be anxious. I'll choose to trust in You. Would you trust Him? Because you find when you look at the story of the fall, it was more than just doing a bad thing. It was a trust that was broken. And now that God has shown through Jesus that He can be trusted, would you trust Him. Could I invite all of us to bow our heads, close our eyes, as I close us with prayer. You know, all across the room, I thought we could just do a little act of faith. If this morning you begin to reflect upon your heart and you realize, man, I'm, actually I'm struggling to trust God. I'm feeling so anxious about life. I try to take matters all into my own hands. I try to control everything. Man, I realize I struggle to trust God. Today, as a little act of faith, across the room, could you just lift your hands? Could be up high, could be a little bit. To tell God, God, this morning, I want to come back to you and I want to say, I want to choose to trust you. Just as an act of faith across the room, if that's your choice, saying, God, I want to trust you, could you just quickly lift up your hands as I close this with prayer? I see those hands. God, you see those hands. And God, our raising up of hands is an act of faith, an act of choice saying, God, I choose to trust in you. Though sometimes I may be worried, sometimes I may be anxious, sometimes I don't know what's ahead, but I'm going to trust that you are the giver of life, you are the sustainer of life, therefore I don't have to take matters into my own hands, I don't have to try to control everything, I will trust in you in your word, and in your timing. I will trust in you because I know you can be trusted. This we pray, this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen.